I'm pastoring the church Evergrace. We're new in town, and it's just been wonderful to be here. And we've been marching through the book of Joshua. And this has been amazing. We started the book of Joshua New Year's. I thought, what a great way to start the, the new year with a book about, yes, victory in warfare, but also a book about rest, resting in what God has accomplished. But first, before we go to the book of Joshua, chapter 5, I'd like to just tell you a little bit about my wife and I and uh, tell you our story. I don't even know if our folks at Evergrace have heard this. By the way, many of our folks from our church are here today. It's my wife right there, Gosha. And I thought I'd just share a little bit about um, our story. I was born in Boston. Yes, I'm a Yankee. <laughs> Moved to the area here two years ago. Was given a voucher and permission to move into Texas as a Yankee. <laughs> and I uh, have learned a lot about how Texas loves Yankees. So thank you for, <laughs> for not kicking me out at the border. I really appreciate that. I was born in the area of Boston. And I went to a congregational church. I don't know if you know what that is, but that's an old, it's an old universalistic type of church where everybody is saved, salvation is for everyone, everyone is saved. There's really no gospel, there's no teaching there, but it's more of a social status. So going to church, we never really heard the gospel until we had, uh, our pastor was out of town. And there was a group of university students that had come into town and they were doing these Charlie Brown skits. They came into the church, did a skit about Charlie Brown. I just don't remember exactly what it was. And at the end, they shared the gospel. And they said, if you'd like to receive, believe on Jesus Christ as your personal savior, then we have workers, we have folks that will pray with you upstairs. And they called it the upper room. So as a nine-year-old, I went upstairs and the whole church was there. <laughs> Literally the whole church had gone upstairs to pray to receive Christ while the pastor was out of town. And I'm sure that he was very happy about that when he came back. <laughs> At that moment, God just began to do something in my life. And I had, was given a Bible by the reverend, they called him, the pastor of the church, the reverend. And I began to read the Bible. And just reading the Bible began to speak to my heart. It just started from Genesis chapter 1, and I just started reading through the Bible. God began to work in my life. When I finished high school, I went to an amazing Bible school in Massachusetts, and then I finished it up there in Baltimore, Maryland, MBCNS. And it's a small Bible school, but it was a school that really focused on missions and really knowing Christ and knowing who we are in Jesus Christ. And I felt during that time as a teenager, before I had gone to Bible college, I went on a mission trip as a 17-year-old to Europe where we just got to experience church planting um, right there on the street. And we got to see God really speak to people's lives. And while I was in Sweden that one week, I really sensed a calling in my life into ministry and to church planting. And I went, after we had finished that mission trip, I went to Bible school, finished the Bible school in 1988, and then went with a uh, church planting team of uh, individuals that were, we were all single, I was 21 at the time, and we moved to Poland. At that time, Poland, if you may remember, some of you 
in the 80s was going through quite a, quite a um, transition. It was communist. And as we were there, we were taking classes in a Polish university for foreigners. And we sat in there, we, we learned Polish. I didn't know anything about Poland. I'm not Polish, well, I'm Polish now because I was given a Polish passport, but I'm not Polish. I've, I knew nothing about Polish people, Polish people, anybody Polish? I know your pastor's part Polish, right? He told us. I just, the only thing I knew about Polish people was that their names, their last names began with a W and it was just very, very long and end with ski. And it was just something that we could never pronounce. I remember one kid in our classroom Polish and we just never, he, there was a real communication barrier there. And we couldn't say his name. But God, we, God led us to Poland and we went with this team to Poland. And I remember being there, uh, working among university students. Uh, we were followed by the special police. Our mail was opened, our phone calls were tapped. If we ever had a conversation about anything political, then the call would end. And it was very, we were under, we were under, under uh, surveillance the entire time. But God did a great work there. And we saw over the four or five years that I lived there in Krakow, Poland, God raised up a lot of young men and women that later on went into ministry. Today, by the grace of God, we have four churches that we've seen start in the country of Poland that continue today by Polish pastors. And they are, they are, they are making disciples, they are preaching the gospel, and they're just seeing God do a beautiful thing. After four or five years there, and I had met my wife in 1990, my wife, the way I met my wife, my wife has a 12 volume version of how we met. I don't know about you husbands there, but your wife's version is always going to be a lot more amplified than the husband's version. I think the husband's version is like, yes, we met, we fell in love, we got married, and here we are. Our wives are going to tell the story, well, you got four or five hours, I'd like to tell you how this all happens. <laughs> I remember we were, and I don't remember this part, my wife told me this part, but we were, yes, <laughs> yep, we're married 25 years, there's a lot of things you learn over, those over that time, happily married 25 years. But I remember uh, her telling me that uh, her roommate, she had just come to Krakow to study English in a British college, it was very difficult to get into that college. We were in, the, in town, we were in the center. I mean, in European cities, there's always a center square and that's where everything is happening. That's where all, everyone goes and you go there and that's the, center of, that's the center of activity. Nowadays, it's social media, but back then it was a city square. And we were there doing some ministry and I had, I guess I had met her roommate, shared the gospel with her and invited her to come to our meeting. And so when she went home, Gosha was there in, in, the, in the apartment and this girl, Agnieszka, said, hey, let's go, let's go to this meeting and listen to these Americans speak. And so Gosha went with her, and that's how I met Gosha. But later on, a few weeks later, we're again in the center doing ministry, and I see Gosha. She's standing there by this, cent this center. Um, uh, it was a statue of one of the Polish poets. And it was a real, it was a meeting place for a lot of people. And so... You go there and you can see people hanging around waiting to meet somebody that they had prearranged meetings. And so I saw her standing there and I went over and I said, well, hey, what are you doing here? She goes, well, I'm, I'm waiting for my English tutor who never showed up. I said, well, I speak English. I, I saw her, I was smitten. I was smitten, I was slain. I don't know, whatever you want to call it. 
I was done. I was, and, and, I said, and I said, I speak English. I can help you. <laughs> Let me help you out. So that's how we got to know each other through the English language. Little did I know the British English that she was studying was just a different, it's a whole different beast. It's a whole other animal. And uh, when we were going through those grammar rules, I was winging it. I had no idea what was going on. And so this began just a, a, about two, two and a half years of just doing a lot of ministry together, Bible studies, and just everywhere I would go, uh, God would bring her in. And she wasn't chasing a relationship. I wasn't chasing a relationship. It was just God putting us together. In 1992, a door opened up for us to go to Ukraine, which had just, in 1991, had just declared independence from Russia. And it was a mess there. During the years I lived in Poland, there were riots in the streets. I would find myself many times in the middle of a demonstration with... Uh, at that time they called the militia, which were the, the, militia, the militia police, beating university students, tear gas everywhere. And now again, when we started going to Ukraine, we saw the same thing, a country in turmoil. But God was doing something amazing in the midst of the young people there. We went there and by the grace of God did the same thing. We saw God raise up young men and women. We had a Bible school there where we saw... Uh, leaders get raised up and go out and plant churches and today by the grace of god we have five churches there and i'll be actually going to visit those churches in march uh, the beginning of march god called us back in 1997 i was part of the teaching staff on our missions department and our home church back on the east coast and while i was there a door opened up for us to go and minister in a church in philadelphia that needed that just needed a lot of help. We went in there um, by the grace of God. We saw God uh, bring health back to that church, get it reestablished re back on its feet and begin to grow. I say all of this to say, I say all of that to say this, this is not me glorying in what I've done, uh, far from it. I was reading recently what Leslie Lyle wrote about Hudson Taylor. I don't know if you know who Sun Taylor is, but he was a credible young man that went into China that was the beginning of the China, China Inland Missions. And as, Lyle, as Leslie Lyle wrote about this in his book, A Passion for the Impossible, Hudson Taylor said this about the work of God. And I thought about this last night. I was going for a walk late at night, just walking in through my neighborhood, just praying, thinking. And these three things came to my mind. Hudson Taylor said this about the work of God. Number one, First, it's impossible. First, it's impossible. <laughs> Secondly, it's difficult. And then thirdly, it's done. I just want to talk about those three things this morning. Let's go to our text in, in Joshua chapter 5. Joshua chapter 5, and we'll read this together. And let's start in verse 10. And I'm reading from the English Standard Version, Joshua chapter 5, verse 10. While the people of Israel were encamped at Gilgal, they kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month in the evening on the plains of Jericho. And the day after the Passover, on that very day, they ate of the produce of the land, unleavened cakes and parched grain 
And the manna ceased the day after they ate of the produce of the land. And there was no longer manna for the people of Israel, but they ate of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. And when Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his sword drawn. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or are you for our enemies? And he said, No, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Let's take a look at, let's take a look at a contextual, historical contextual view of what's happening here. The Hebrews have left Egypt. They have crossed the Red Sea. And when they had left Egypt, the God of the Hebrews had defeated each Egyptian deity soundly and the Pharaoh's son had died along with a large portion of their army under the Red Sea. A generation later, we see that the Hebrews are now knocking on the door of the Canaanites. And these Canaanites had heard, as we know through Rahab, uh, Rahab tells the spies, we have heard of you and we have heard of what your God is doing. And when she said that, she was confessing with her mouth the greatness of God. And I believe at that moment, she, she became a believer in God at that point. And she began to explain to these spies that all of Canaan is panicking. Historically, we know that that is true because a generation later, uh, in 1887, there, were, there was archaeological digs that show letters that were written in the cuneiform script right, regarding what was happening at Canaan at the time. And historically, we know that Egypt was was the protectors of Canaan at that time. But after the Pharaoh, uh, after the Pharaoh of Moses, it Moses' time, and a generation later, there's, a, there's the next Pharaoh is there, and his name is Akhamaton. And what his job was, was to, he was focused on doing two things. Number one, really focusing on doing religious reform in Egypt. Now, why was that going on? Because the God of the Hebrews just wiped out all of their gods. And something was wrong in Egypt because they needed to reassess what they believed in and they needed to redefine it. And this is what this Pharaoh was doing. And as he is doing this, he's losing sight of the lands that he was protecting in Canaan. Egypt was on recovery mode after the Hebrews left. There's actually a letter that was translated. And I want to read it to you. This just tells us about an amazing way that God begins things. While Akhameten, the son and successor of Amenhotep, spent his life preoccupied with religious reform, Egyptian prestige in Asia, or Canaan, began to sink. As the Armana letters abundantly show, no effort was made by the court to answer the frantic appeals for the help made by some of the princes who still professed loyalty to Egypt. The most common complaint in these letters is that 
Unless Egypt would send troops urgently, the land would fall into the hands of what they were calling a people group called the Hapiru, which were the Hebrews. And they were saying that these Hebrews are overrunning Palestine, they're overrunning Canaan, and there's no defense against them. And unless you send troops down here, we're done. Egypt could not help. I just want to make a point. Is that the, this is the first point I'd like to make this morning. Is that the way God begins something with his people, for his people, is very, very significant about the way he completes it. What God has begun in our lives, he is faithful to complete. What God has started in your life as a mom, as a dad, as a business person, as a young person, as a teenager, what God has begun in your life, I can tell you today, he will be faithful to complete it. And the way God began the work with the Hebrews had everything to do about the reputation going on in Canaan. The Canaanites were afraid. Isn't that incredible? I love that. God calls us, God calls his people into the impossible. When God called the Hebrews out of Goshen into, into the desert, and then while they are roaming in the desert, and then they come into the promised land, this is an impossible task. What God has called you and I into, what God has led us into, is not something that can be done in the energy of our flesh. Because as soon as it is, as soon as we, it, it happens, we begin to understand the impossibility of the task at hand. I was thinking while we were worshiping during that beautiful time of worship that every one of us that are in this room, we are here today because of a long succession of decisions that you've made with Christ for Christ, whether however long or short. And those are some incredibly impossible decisions. What God has begun in your life, he's going to be faithful to, to complete. The second thing here, we read in verse 13, and let's look at this here together. When Joshua was by Jericho, and I want to stop there for a second. While Joshua was by Jericho, the picture here in the original language is that Joshua is two miles. They are two miles from Jericho. Let's look at the picture geographically. They come across the Jordan, and the, the place that they land is a place called Gilgal. And in the Hebrew, that means rolled away. What does that point to, of course? Romans chapter 8, right? The resurrection of Jesus Christ, the stone being rolled away. The crossing of the Jordan is a beautiful picture of Romans chapter 6 and Romans chapter 7 being buried in, Jer in Jordan, in the waters of Jordan, and not being killed and not being uh, destroyed in the waters of Jordan, and then being brought through Jordan to the other side where we've been resurrected with Christ in God in Romans chapter 8. Gilgal speaks of resurrection. And here God brings his people. What God has begun in your life, he's going to be faithful to bring you through those Jordans, and he's going to get you to Gilgal. Gilgal is the first stop in the Canaanite land. This is an amazing place because it speaks of resurrection. This was the base of operations for the Israelites. Whenever there was a crisis historically in the land of Israel, the Israelites would go back to Gilgal. They'd say, let's go back to our baseline. What's our baseline? We are resurrected in Christ, that we've been crucified with Christ, that we've been buried with Christ. All of our sins are wiped away. They are as far as the east is from the west. We are new creations in Christ, and our new base of operations is not, woe is me, what's going to happen, these are giants in the land, but no, we are new creations in Christ in a place called Gilgal, and that's how we start every day of our day. When we get out of bed, before our feet hit the floor, when the baby's crying in the other room, and we're thinking, what are we going to do? It's, it's 3 o'clock in the morning. 
We are more than conquerors before our feet hit the ground in the morning. Why? Because we have been brought through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We are new creations in him. And Joshua is by Gilgal. And here they are. Some commentators say that, that there are palm trees there. And to the east, you could see the, the, the Jordan River, that beautiful river that they had just crossed. And just north of them, about two miles, was Jericho. And here they are having their Passover in the plains, the flatlands. Vulnerability, huh? We don't like vulnerability, do we? We don't like to be in a position where we can't protect ourselves, where we don't know what's going on. We don't know, and I know that Pastor Mark, we've had some beautiful times of fellowship here in the parking lot and just talking, and what a beautiful man of God. He said, he is for me like a, I would say a gentle giant, isn't he? And he's just a man, you can see there's a lot of content and there's a lot of, just a lot of history with God, yet at the same time, he will, it, won't, it, it won't even take a second for him to weep with you about something that is happening in your life. And we're sitting there, and I know this body has been through things, I don't know details or anything like that, but any church today is going through things, and, and we, we need to re- return to that baseline and understand that we are camped out in Gilgal. And here, as they are eating the Passover, they're eating the produce of the land, the blessings that God had brought them, the manna, that tasteless substance in the, in the, in the um, desert is now no longer their food, and they are sitting there, and they're eating the Passover, and they're looking at this gigantic city <laughs> two miles north of them. Can you imagine that? I guess the idea, the picture that I get when I first moved here to Houston about two years ago, I was driving down 45, I was driving down south, and there's a moment there, I don't know exactly what part of 45 it is, still kind of new, and you, you're kind of going up a bridge or something, and then suddenly in the distance you see this massive skyline of Houston. I thought that's probably what it looked like for these Hebrews, a massive impossible wall. And so Joshua here, here that while Joshua was by Jericho, the Hebrew here is giving an idea, and I'm not a Hebrew scholar, I don't want to lead you into thinking I'm some scholar, but there's a lot of great helps out there. The Hebrew here is pointing to a picture that Joshua is sitting here t- thinking about a strategy about how to take this city. He's there by Jericho, and he's in, in, in the Hebrew, it's pointing that in his mind, he's already inside the walls. He's figuring out how, what's going to happen there. And he's going through it, and he's thinking about it, and then suddenly he lifts up his eyes and looked. If you ever want to be blessed by a, a beautiful study in the Bible, just do a study on lifting your eyes. Just get a concordance lifting his eyes, lifted their eyes, lifted eyes. It's just amazing to see how we can get so wrapped up in what's going on and we forget we're in Gilgal and we just need to lick up our eyes. And then what's happening here is that there is a man standing before him with his drawn sword. And we see this, we see this man three times in the Old Testament. We see him in, um, in uh, First Kings, we see him... Uh, in the book of, uh, I'm sorry, First Chronicles chapter 21, and then we see him also in Numbers 22 when he's facing uh, ba- uh, Balaam, and we see him here facing Jericho, uh, facing Joshua. Joshua here sees this man with a, his sword drawn, and that is a picture of impending work of God, the impending judgment. But why is the sword drawn in the presence of Joshua, and why do we see? such straight talk here. Joshua said, I like Joshua. 
By the way, Joshua, when we look at Joshua, we think, okay, he's a mighty guy, but look how many times Moses and God speaks to Joshua and says, be strong and have good courage. He says it over and over and over. And I think that we need to understand that Joshua was not a powerful guy. He needed so much encouragement. Caleb comes alongside and says, come on, Joshua, we can take this land. And so Joshua walks up to this man and he says, are you for us or are you against us? And I thought about this, and isn't this a, a unique picture how sometimes we get so embroiled about the details and the circumstances in our life, and we're asking this question, is God for me or is God against me? And then the, 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 the man here with the drawn sword that we know later here is Jesus Christ as a theophany, an incarnation of Christ, or I mean a, a picture of the, of the pre-incarnated Christ, and he says this, no, I love that. Sometimes we get into these conversations with God, like, what's going to happen? This is happening, and that's not right, and I'm praying for this, and just the opposite is happening. Our God, are you for me? Or are you against me? And we get into this dichotomous kind of conversation in our prayer life, and God says, no. You are on the wrong track with your conversation with God. I'm not even there. Romans chapter 8, I am for you. But let's just go beyond that. This is much bigger than you, Joshua. Joshua, think of him as a young man, okay, as a young leader. Maybe not young in age, but he's young. He's just beginning his campaign in, in Canaan. This is his first city. He's like, I got to make this good. <laughs> my whole reputation, maybe he's thinking my reputation's on the line in front of these people. Maybe he's not thinking that. I don't know. But here he is. And he's looking at the city. And he's eating his Passover meal. And he's thinking, what's going to happen? The angel of the Lord comes and he says, No, I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And then in the Hebrew, there is an interruption there. Something, is in, something interrupts Jesus who is, who is hearing for Joshua. And that is Joshua at that moment falls on his face. The moment that Joshua understands that this is Jesus. And this is not just some angel. We understand that this, because the way the word in the Hebrew is worship is a word, worship that can only be used, only used in the Old Testament for the worship of God. And so he's worshiping God here. And as he's worshiping, he says, what would you have, what do you have to say to your servant and what would you have your servant do? Immediate, immediate worship. And then, and then the, I have something, I want you to take your shoes off. I want you to take your shoes off. This is a beautiful picture. God is continually confirming with Joshua what his mentor and his spiritual father Moses went through. He's, Exodus chapter 3, verse 5, Moses goes through the same thing. Moses has to take his shoes off. What does that mean to us today? What does that mean to you and I in our daily life here in the woodlands? This beautiful part of this is such a beautiful place. What does that mean to us? Shoes represent ego. It represents protecting ourselves, protecting those vulnerable, sensitive parts of us those parts of us that can be so easily hurt and so easily cut that creates, can create such a lack of sensitivity in our life, sensitivity to God. Love the worship because during the worship, I could just sense like that, that this congregation here, this church here is, uh, you, are, you are exercised in the presence of God because worship is not about evoking or um, conjuring up the presence of God, but it is a renewing of our mind about something that's true that God never let, leaves us. And we, when we as a congregation get together and we uh, begin to be renewed in the spirit of our minds about those things in Ephesians chapter 4, there's a, there is a, 
a special sense of, the, of, of a corporate sense of the presence of God in Rome. And that's what worship is. Worship is when we understand who God is and what he, um, who he is in his nature, in his infallible, immutable nature. Praise is when we begin to thank him for the things that he has done and those, thing that he, those things that he has not done. God, I know that this is not done yet. I don't have an answer yet, but I'm going to praise you for the answer. In God's eyes, in God's eyes, in God's eyes, it's done. It's finished. I don't want to, I don't want to get ahead of myself. Shoes represent the ego and protection. The ego of, of our flesh makes everything difficult. So the impossibility of the task, Jericho, secondly, now the difficulty of the task. You know, whenever you and I begin to rationalize in our fleshly mind about the plan of God or about what's happening in your life, that makes everything difficult, doesn't it? It just complicates everything. The flesh is known for just, just being such annoyance and such a complication. We start thinking about our life with God and, our, and, and what we're doing in the, in the perspective of the natural mind. Guess what happens? Everything becomes extremely difficult and the littlest molehill becomes a mountain because the flesh wants to complicate everything. God just says, you know something? How do we shed our ego? It's already been done 2,000 years ago. We just reckon ourselves dead with Christ on the cross 2,000 years ago that God dealt with my ego 2,000 years. I think there's so many battles that we fight in our mind that are just not battles that God has called us to fight. God has, God has resolved that conversation and that battle 2,000 years ago. And all we need to do is surrender to that. Fall on our face and begin to worship Christ who's in our presence. No shoes means I'm just choosing vulnerability. Okay, that's great theologically, but in our relationships, wow, that's our spirituality, our maturity as Christians and as believers is directly translated into our relationships. In my marriage, in, in my family relationships, in the way I parent my kid. When we say, God, I, I'm choosing vulnerability. I'm not going to defend myself. I'm not going to live in some kind of self-justification. I'm not going to try to tell my side of the story. It's okay if I appear wrong. It's okay because God's got my back. That's hard. I'm, I'm, I'm not saying I've mastered that because I have not. I'm still a student in that. You know, when my, my wife told me this. Anything that I know about nutrition and health, is, is any smarts that I have is because of my wife. <laughs> She's, a, she's, um, uh, she's in health and wellness. You know, on the bottom of the sole of your foot, I don't know if you know this, maybe you do, but on the, on the sole of your foot, you have uh, nerve endings that go to every part of your body. Did you know that? Yeah, it's called reflexology. I mean, every nerve uh, to every major organ, to every part of your body, ends at the bottom of your foot. That means that whatever your foot, whenever you're walking barefoot, sometimes I go out to the mailbox to get my mail barefoot, and as I'm walking out of there, I'm feeling every little rock and every little uh, piece of sand, even if it's a micron size, I can feel that. This means that I am not walking in the confidence in Philippians chapter 3, verse 3 of my flesh. I got this. You know, I'm not walking around like, okay, I got this. I know God didn't come into the, into the garden after Adam and Eve failed and say, coming in large and in charge. He came in, where are you? Intimacy. Where are you? I miss our fellowship. And so sensitivity is this, that I'm not walking in what I know. I'm not walking in my experience. I'm walking in what Jesus wants to say through the, whole, through, the, through the scripture. 
what he is saying to us right now. Sensitivity to God. And this is what, did Joshua have a calling? Yes. Did Joshua have the gifts? Yes, he did. Was he a gifted leader? Yes, he was. Was he on a path to trajectory of victory? Yes, he did. But he missed one thing, I think. And I don't know what's going on in his mind. He missed one thing. He forgot to take off his shoes and just be quiet before the Lord and just, and just take a moment where he's not saying something or thinking something, but he's just thinking. Lastly, I want to just say this, and we can read this. Um, take off your sandals in verse 15, for the place where you're standing is holy. I just want to finish with that. What does holiness mean? We talked about the impossible. We talked about the difficult. Now let's talk about the done. This is something that God really spoke to me just recently about a finished work perspective, a completed perspective of the plan of God. In Romans chapter 8, it says that we are glorified, we are justified. We are called justified, glorified. It's already done. In God's mind, it's a finished, it's a finished work. It's all done. In God's mind, he sees the end. He sees the beginning from, he sees the end from the beginning. He sees that. He sees that this is all completed. And this is really beautiful, and I'm going to close with this, is that we are worried about the incomplete things in our life. I don't have enough patience. I don't have enough this. I don't have enough that. God sees it already complete, that you and I are complete in Christ. God is seeing that, God is already seeing Israel in Canaan conquering the enemies and then ruling over them. God sees a completed work. And this is sacred. This is holy. In Girdlestone's um, book on the synonyms of the Old Testament, he talks about holiness this way. He says that uh, when an object was brought into the temple, uh, the old Jewish temper, temple, and it had contact with something that was already set apart, that was already sacred, that had been anointed with blood or oil, that object itself was sanctified by the other object that was already that was already set apart. That's beautiful. We see this illustrated in the life of Jesus. Jesus walks in and everybody's saying, the law says don't touch the leper because you're going to get leprosy. The law has no power to, to heal. It doesn't, the, power had no, the law had no power to bring Israel into the promised land. That's why Moses had to stand on the other side of Jordan because the law, the Ten Commandments, although they're sacred and holy, they don't have the power because they're weak in the flesh in Romans chapter 8, verse 3, to get us through that, to get us through that, to that, that, that uh, Jordan River. And Jesus, what he does is he touches the leper. And what happens to the leper? Does Jesus get leprosy? No, he does not. The leper gets healed. Why? Because there's something in Christ that is greater than the leprosy. That is a picture of holiness. And that's what the Pharisees hated. The Pharisees hated that he was hanging around the, town, around the, the townspeople. Luke chapter 15, verse 1. These people, the publicans and the sinners came out and heard him gladly. And he was accused for... for, for keeping company like that. And so here's Jesus. He is speaking to Joshua, and this, land, this, this ground is holy. Why is it holy? Because Joshua is a great guy? No. It's holy because Jesus' presence is there. And what does Jesus begin to do? Chapter 5 ends right there, but we know in Usher's, uh, we know uh, that chapters here were, were not originally in the original text, so we can keep reading into chapter 6. We won't this morning, but we begin to see the Lord begins to talk. And he begins to speak to Joshua all the things that he's going to do. What a great prayer meeting that is, to just be quiet, to take our shoes off in the presence of God, in the, in, in the potential conflict, 
in the, in the scary things of life when the, the call of God looks impossible. I'm sure that folks in this room, there have been times as a church or as, a, as, a, as an individual, you're just shaking your head like, this looks like the end. <laughs> you're just wondering, what's going to happen next? What's going to happen next? I've been there. My wife and I have been there. And we just take our shoes off in the presence of God and say, God, I don't know. I don't know what's going on. I can't say I'm an amazing. My faith has ended. I come to the end of myself. I, I do not know what's going to happen. And we see that David oftentimes is like that in the book of Psalms, crying out to God in honesty. I love the book of Psalms because we just see an honest man with his God. And what, what does God do? He, begin, he says, now that your shoes are off, now that it's not about your ego, now it's not about you and, and, and all, your dichotomous conversation, God, are you for me or against me? Now it's about worshiping Christ, focusing on his personhood and understanding who he is. And at that moment, God begins to speak to us through his word. And that, I just want to say as we finish here, the best is yet to come. God has great things for you. I'm not saying this to be optimistic and positive and, you know, rah, rah. I'm just saying this because the Bible says that. I think as the years go on, years go on, you think the best is behind me. I've had my best. Nope. Caleb's calling started when he was 80. <laughs> Don't you love that? I love that. We can, we can serve God at any time in our life. Let's just bow our heads for a moment. And... Just consider what we've read here. Heavenly Father, we know that the scriptures were written for our edification and for our example. Joshua today speaks to us. And we sent your presence here today, God. We want to take a moment. Lord, if I'm wearing shoes... If I'm choosing to be insensitive, if I'm choosing to be living in my defense mechanisms that protect the wounds that were never healed, Lord, I'm just saying to you today, taking my shoes off, choosing vulnerability, I'm choosing to look like I'm wrong, although maybe I'm right. I'm choosing to stand here in the Jordan River like the priest did. With the, with the river not parted yet. Lord, we can choose vulnerability, we can choose faith, we can choose trust because fear not, little flock, it is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And Lord, we do not want to live in fear today, we want to live in trust because in your eyes it's already completed. The work is done and that's sacred. That's what's sacred about our faith. We want to praise you for those answers that we have not gotten yet. Lord, we want to trust you for those things that we know are true in the word but have not been manifested yet in the external world. Father, we love you. We thank you. Just if you're here this morning and you've never believed on Jesus Christ as your Savior, just do that to say, God, I, I'm, I'm just going to trust you as my, as my Lord and Savior today. Do that. If you did, tell somebody you did it.